Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 110, hosted by none other than Alina Hodges, our resident Shakespeare expert. Welcome back, Alina. It is an interview with Colleen Carey and Catherine Jett of Rebel Cat Productions' Coriolanus Fight Like a Bitch, which is going into its final preview tonight, opening tomorrow evening at 12th Avenue Arts, running through November 18th, an all-female cast. Ticketing link is Brown Paper Tickets and will be in our episode description. If you've seen the photos that are on social media, it is a show that I am going to be very sad to miss. So please check it out. I also want to give a shout out for Colleen to, uh, for her bringing in non-binary performers into the conversation about halfway through the interview. I'm not gonna lie, I was uh, tuning out a little bit before then. Not tuning out, but wanting there to be an acknowledgement of gender diversity in performers. And I was glad that Colleen brought that to the table. It rose some questions for me because this is a production where if I would have still been in Seattle at the time they were casting it, a director I really would have wanted to work with, Shakespeare is kind of on my bucket list. I haven't had a ton of opportunities to perform in Shakespeare. So I just, a curiosity about that and also, especially since I'm working on the non-binary monologues project, if you folks haven't heard about this yet, I have started a website, nonbinarymonologues.wordpress.com. There'll be a link in the episode description because there's a need right now for non-binary actors to be cast, to be cast in shows that aren't exclusively dealing with trans themes, to be able to find pieces and monologues that align with their gender because their gender is valid. Um, so... Thoughts. Thoughts I am thinking. <laughs> uh, there is a link as well in the episode description to a PayPal page. If you enjoy what you're hearing, you know, we've been off the air for quite a few months. This is a volunteer run operation. And so if you have listened to our episodes, if you enjoy the work that we do, I encourage you to visit that PayPal link and donate if you are able, just to let us know that uh, we should keep doing what we're doing. I would so appreciate it. This episode is sponsored by Max Coltacanicos. Max is a graphic designer and illustrator, one of my closest friends and an artist who I respect greatly. And if you ever need a logo or an illustration done or a poster, I encourage you to visit Max's website in the episode description and hire this very talented artist. Speaking of talented artists, let's get to the interview, shall we? Please enjoy episode 110 with Colleen Carey and Catherine Jett. Coriolanus, fight like a bitch. We're having too many, too many fun conversations happening before the recording starts. Um, hello, 
theatrical Mustang listeners. This is Olina, back from uh, so many months of not doing podcasts. Um, I'm here today with members of the Coriolanus Fight Like a Bitch team. Ow, ow. Uh, so they'll introduce themselves and then we'll start talking about this really awesome show I can't wait to see. Uh, hi, my name is Kathleen Jett. Uh, I am uh, I'm playing Sicinius in the production. Um, I am also one of the developers of the production and um, the adapter of this script, the version that we're doing, and the production dramaturg. And I am Colleen Carey. I am playing Aphidius. Um, I am the originator of the idea to do this all-female production of Coriolanus, and uh, I am the lead producer. Great. Cool. Um, can, can you both kind of tell me a little bit about your, how, how you came to be here in Seattle doing theater? Like, what's your... Colleen, what's your life story of <laughs> Shakespeare and the arts and yeah, yeah. So I am a native, Seattle native. Uh, I went away to go to school uh, in Los Angeles and then in North Carolina, um, and then I moved to New York and then moved back and kind of bounced around. Um, I have always loved Shakespeare. Um, there's a famous story about me when I was five about uh, quoting Shakespeare in the back seat. Um, my mom was talking to my brother and explaining why it is that sometimes people lie and that we should have compassion for them because who knows what they're suffering for, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. <laughs> At five. <laughs> At five. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know where I heard that or where, but, like, it had to be, like, four that I kind of fell in love with those beautiful words. Um, and did some Shakespeare. I did my first... Um, commercial at the age of five. So I was a professional actor at five. And I worked and studied and um, went to an arts high school in Los Angeles and studied, uh, studied Shakespeare. Um, and there were a lot of kids who were, you know, came from wealthy families, some who came from families who had very, very little. Um, and because it was in the middle of Los Angeles, they were kids of every shade of black and brown from all over the world. And, um, and then there was me. And uh, so it never made any sense to me that Shakespeare should be limited to the realm of, you know, old, uh, straight, white men. Like, it didn't... So I always thought that Shakespeare was meant to be much more um, alive and immediate. Um, Cool. Catherine, yeah. um, what's, your, what's your journey? <laughs> I, am, uh, I am not a Seattle native. Um, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, originally. I just crossed the 10-year mark of living in Seattle. Um, I discovered Shakespeare. I stumbled upon Shakespeare 
um, at age 13 um, in a, a production of Shakespeare in the Park in Centennial Park in Nashville um, by the Nashville Shakespeare Festival. And, and I sort of didn't want to, I didn't even want to go take a look, but my mom um, sort of insisted. She said, let's just, let's just go walk the dog over there. Let's just go take a look. And um, they were doing a production of The Tempest, um, a beautiful production of The Tempest. And we sort of peeked inside the, the parameters at the band shell where they were performing. And it was... It was an incredible moment. I think it really was love at first sight, um, love at first sound too. Um, I just fell in love with it so hard, instantly, um, and I, st I still maintain that that was the beginning of my my journey to wanting to become a professional actor and do this with my life. And so after that. Um, I believe it was that production uh, that year, the Nashville Shakespeare Festival had um, established an apprentice company. Um, so they would take, you know, 12 to 15. At the time it was uh, high schoolers. Um, now I think the apprentice company extends to um, people who are about undergrad age as well. But um, so two years later, uh, I wound up found myself in the apprentice company and it was like a dream um, you got uh, you got um, acting training kind of uh, along the lines of what you might encounter in your um, first years in undergrad um, with a heavy emphasis on Shakespearean text analysis and playing Shakespeare and the training was excellent and it was so much fun and it was great to be in an environment of young people who were also fairly serious about um, learning the the magic of unlocking this incredible text and I just remember um, being in one of my first text analysis classes with a guy who was so, oh, he was so passionate about text analysis. And I think it kind of bled into me. <laughs> we, were, um, we were dissecting the Friends Romans Countryman um, speech and uh, it just blew my mind that there were so many clues and things like punctuation and the the pentameter and that it's like a treasure map and you can unlock all of these clues that Shakespeare gave you and um, and then my, my love has just grown from that. I apprenticed with them for three summers um, and then kind of floated away from Shakespeare for a while and did other things in my career. Finally decided that I wanted to um, get a degree in theater, which is what brought me to Seattle. I'm a 2011 graduate of Cornish College of the Arts. Um, and there was, you know, the, you, you do some Shakespeare training in that program um, which was great. It was a, it was another opportunity to kind of play and grapple with things, but, um, it was, it's been since my graduation that my, my hunger for that, for that text has grown. And I think my expansion of the idea of what Shakespeare can be 
has has just grown incrementally and of course um, you know I've been inspired by companies like Upstart Crow who are boldly putting um, all-female casts on stage and it's just um, you know you see that and and I I'm, I'm envious of that and I go oh you know what I want to do that too like we should have more <laughs> we should have more um, and then uh, Colleen and I worked together uh, on Shakespeare. Yeah, on Shakespeare. <laughs> this is how we met doing Shakespeare. <laughs> um, Seattle Immersive's 2016 production of Romeo and Juliet. Uh-huh. Um, and it was during that time that uh, she had this idea, and it was just such a delicious idea. Just mm-hmm. It's all coming full circle now in my mind. Got yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And it was, I believe, just a pipe dream at the time. Like, yeah. Um, great, great segue. Yeah. How, yeah. how did this project come to be? That, that's in, I saw mm-hmm. that, of course. I interviewed Emily and yeah, yeah. Um, okay. yeah. Devin and Lorenzo. Yes, yes. yes. I remember. Group, a whole little group. Yeah. Um, for, that, for that show. So that was, yeah. was fantastic. Okay. I loved your work. And that both of you. Thank you. I, Thank I you. really enjoyed that production so much. It was, oh, thanks. Romeo and Juliet it was my beginning with oh, Shakespeare wow. at the age of four. I just. <laughs> oh, nice. yes. So From that sister. time. Like, oh, just yeah. that's this, this. There's never been another option for my life. So I love it. I, love yeah, it. I it's great. get that. But so during that, during that process, what, how did this um, spark? Well. I, so we were playing mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I conflated, you know, mama and papa Capulet. Mm-hmm. And um, I were running around a warehouse and I tore my calf muscle. <laughs> so we in had, front of me. Yeah, on stage. stage. Yeah. Well, during yeah. a show? Yeah, during a show. Yeah. People, yeah. audience around them, you know. Oh, God. 360. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's immersive. So we yeah, were, yeah. Yeah. we were in the stage rather yeah. than. Yeah. Um, there was an audible pop. It was really weird. But, um, oh. yeah, we relocked the entire show in a wheelchair. Um, I tried to get. Uh, an understudy. In fact, I had an understudy, but Emily was like, "No, just you know, can you do it? Can you do it?" Um, so, you know, we just handled it. And um, so, I love hot climbing mountains, and um, I also realized at that time that I was not going to be able to climb Mount St. Helens again. And I guess I, so I was reading a lot and I was like there's I want to be able to fill the void with something big um, and I was thinking about Jill Soloway writing about why female characters have to be likable um, and I kind of stumbled upon you know a couple different things and I was reading T.S. Eliot's um, uh, A Statesman from Coriolan and um, and and I became like fascinated with why why it was that T.S. Eliot really did not like Hamlet. I mean, if you read Hamlet and his problems, he's like trashing Hamlet and saying <laughs> Coriolanus is a, is a far superior play. In fact, that is quote unquote mm-hmm. what T.S. Eliot says. 
Um, and I have to agree. <laughs> and I was thinking, why can't female characters, why do female characters have to be likable? What if we took this profoundly quote-unquote male-theme-dominated play and we made it all-female? And then, so that's where it started. Uh, I had this, I had a vision, you know, about kind of imagining what that would look like. And then over the next probably two to three months, um, Catherine and Melissa and I started talking about it. And there, Catherine said, well, we, we have to change, we have to do this, first of all. We can't just call this a pipe dream. Mm. We're, mm -hmm. we're going to do this. And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was definitely... Catherine planted her flag and said, you know, grabbed her hands and was like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was just, I, I, it was such a delicious idea, an irresistible uh -huh. idea. Uh -huh. um, the challenge of, um, and, and maybe, maybe challenge is the wrong word because I knew that women were more than capable of stepping into these roles and owning them with all of their feminine strength. So mm -hmm. it was just an, a, an irresistible sort of dare. Um, and I was not content to, <laughs> to dream about it. I, I really wanted us to, to put our money where our dream was. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then she and said, let's change all the pronouns. Sure, and um, we had, uh, I think the, that idea was prompted by um, partial changing of the pronouns in that production of Romeo and Juliet, mm -hmm. um, that uh, Emily had cast this production in a very specific and non-traditional way, including um, some of the male roles being cast as women, um, and deciding specifically to use the, the gender flip-flopped pronouns for the most effect. It was a very mindful thing, like where we changed the pronouns, we were sure why we were doing it. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and it seems to have, I noticed it had a, a big impact on the audience when we were getting feedback afterwards. That was one of the things that... Um, people seem to really resonate with that, with the alternative casting and going that one step further and backing up that casting by changing the pronouns. And I was more interested um, in women playing women. I was just really, really... Um, that idea really held my interest and... I thought, you know, I don't, I want to see what happens if we not only say we are women playing women, we are making these roles female, but change the pronouns to back all of that up. And I am a Shakespeare purist at heart, really. And so, you know, I had to grapple with that a little bit because it's Shakespeare and just the, the mere idea of <laughs> changing, <laughs> rewriting Shakespeare, losing, um, you know, I try to cut to maintain meter and, and all of that. And, um, but I thought, um, I think 
uh, at least I, right now in my life, in my at this time in my career, I think Shakespeare um, is meant to be adapted. The stories still resonate um, in such a powerful way. But I also think, um, like mythology, those plays can be brought into our modern time and our modern mindset while still maintaining their integrity and the integrity of the language. But I'm interested in ways to adapt um, that bring those plays forward while still keeping that that integrity which I take is sacred and so I thought if we're really going to do an all-female production I want to go all the way and make it so that the audience is hearing over and over again that we are women that she's a she and her and um they're matricians instead of patricians Mm -hmm. and oh wow um, yeah, we yeah. couldn't change everything, <laughs> but yeah. that one was an easy switch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and again, it's just, uh, you know, I, not that I think that, that changing pronouns is essential. Again, like Upstart Crow usually does not change their, their mm-hmm. pronouns, and I think their productions are highly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, this was an experiment that... Um, we were all just really keen to try and see, and, and we will still see what it yields once we get people in there um, yeah. hearing and responding. I think the next evolution of the conversation is including they into mm-hmm. an attitude. Absolutely. Also, yeah. um, we, you know, because of the, our desire to move the needle on equity and casting, and because of our desire to, really examine how, how far we've pushed the envelope of asking questions that are um, important to us in this current landscape. Um, initially, the casting was uh, for all female-identifying performers. Um, and it became clear that we needed to like let more evolve and look go out into communities and talk with people and see how they were feeling about whether they liked Shakespeare or not because you can't just cast one person who identifies as non-binary and have them feel you know not feel like there's a microaggression that's occurring you can't bring they into the conversation if one person is singled out so we had to, I don't want to say like compromise would be satisfied, but we said, well, all right, we'll do, we'll do all female. And then the pronouns will be uh, she and her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are, other, there are other things that we are hatching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, um, there's yeah. so much there and so many um, delicious uh, sort of dramaturgical questions to explore yeah. that, that can't, we can't explore all of them in one production, yeah. um, which is great because it just means we'll have to do more productions <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and explore those other questions. Yeah, um, we were not trying to 
hang our hat on some sort of slogan like the future is female. I mean, we, the idea was to have this be the inaugural production of something that was more equity-minded across the board. So, um, yeah, that would, it would be interesting to see how what we do next takes yeah. shape and form. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why Coriolanus for this project? Because it's so male-dominated. Um, I have a, a coach um, who is based in New York and actually did uh, coach teacher. Um, he did Coriolanus and he played Aufidius actually. Um, he was like, why do you want to do this play? It's such a sausage fest. And I was like, <laughs> exactly. That's true of me. The war plays. I mean, exactly. there's a lot of, yes. so much masculinity in, in much of Shakespeare yeah. in the histories. And yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. two very pointed reasons. One is that it's a very is that it's a sausage fest. Mm -hmm. His words, not mine. <laughs> Disclaimer. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's number one. And then number two is that Coriolanus is neither a hero nor an anti-hero. I mean, the ending is so abrupt. Mm -hmm. It's so different from any of the other plays. Um, it's just sort of ends on the edge of a cliff. And and exists on the margin between, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you cannot call it a comedy, um, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think you can call it a tragedy either. Uh, it's, I think that's something that people run into a lot with Coriolanus when they're trying to produce it. It's like, how do we, uh, how do we, talk about this play, what is it? How do we qualify it mm -hmm. or what what kind it doesn't, of it doesn't fit in a box. It really. does not. Yeah. And and it's late. It's a late play. And yeah. that the, the so it's yeah that excites it's not a romance. It excites not, me as well that yeah. it's a late play because this is really the master at work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I the fact that it doesn't fit into a box and that we know it's a late play makes me think that he absolutely knew mm -hmm. what he was doing, and it's so exciting to me that he would choose to write a play that that exists on this margin and mm -hmm. ends the way that it does. It's yeah. not. It is. A, it's not a satisfying ending. You <laughs> audiences may not walk away with the closure they're hoping for. Right. Um, and it's fantastic because uh, that is that's life. It is life, and you it's know, very that's modern. Real. Yeah, and yes. still, that's a risk for right. for writers or filmmakers or anyone to take. Well, sure. not give closure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, specifically to the point of answering that question: Why do female characters have to be likable? Mm -hmm. Why not take a play that is very dominated by male themes, where the uh, primary, the titular character, is not really a protagonist or an antagonist? So if we make that woman be neither likable nor not likable, then we're playing and poking holes and shattering all those myths about what women are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to do it. Because right. I just, I am not someone you should ever say no to, because I'll be the first one. <laughs> Good to know. I like to know. Really? Did you just dare me? 
This is true. <laughs> and that's why I was like, yes, that is why. That is why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Have there been any major surprises for either of you along through this process in terms of the adaptation and how that has taken shape or um, working on these very male roles as women? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, I mean, I often get cast in roles that are like the bitch in the suit roles or the sort of boardroom, you know. Um, And when I first came in, I had this sort of tone in my voice that was very militaristic. There's kind of a lady lawyer manner of speaking where, you know, you drop your voice and you say, <laughs> you drop your voice. Right. You <laughs> drop your voice and you say, so uh, this is what the bottom line in the report says, mm-hmm. and this is what we are going to do. Is that understood? Um, <laughs> but, you know, you get trapped in a box um, vocally when you do that. So, um, yeah, that was a surprise in the beginning of rehearsal. I was like, oh, I have to actually not get boxed in by having some sort of lady logic. This is how I argue with men and win the argument. Mm -hmm. I have to be a female warrior as a woman would be. Mm -hmm. That was, that was a paradigm shift. Sure. Mm -hmm. I had a similar, um, sort of similar revelation. The idea of a warrior, um, I had to come to grips with the fact that I had a pretty limited view of of what that meant or what that could be, um, physically, vocally, um, and, and in every sense. Because uh, from the beginning of this process, before I knew that I was going to be acting in it, um, but I knew that that was a possibility. Um, I I was really kind of wrestling with this idea: of, Do I belong in this play? Um, because in my mind, um, what I look like, um, given my age and given my frame, and I just kept thinking, you know, people, nobody's going to cast me in this play because I don't look like a warrior. I look like a ballerina. (laughs) (laughs) um, But but I did get cast in this play, and I had to grapple with that a little bit as well. And, And I got cast as Sicinius, one of the tribunes, who stands toe to toe with Coriolanus and says, you deserve to die. And that was big, right? I'm not punching faces, but I'm condemning somebody to a very, very scary person to Sicinius. She's condemning her to death. And it took me a little while. It took me a couple of conversations to to drop into the idea that um, strength and female strength can look like me, can look like every single one of the women and beyond um, that are on the stage. Um, and that in putting all of these different women on stage in, in such a, a strong and violent, uh, powerful play and powerful roles, I hope is going to redefine a little bit or open people's minds like it opened mine to what is strength and what is feminine strength um, and that it can it can look like you it absolutely can look like you it can look like anybody 
Um, it's like that uh, expression, and I reflected on this after having this paradigm shift, and you and I had some conversations, but, you know, vulnerability is your superpower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. Also, um, we, uh, I mean, we developed this idea, but we gave the entire casting process over to the director. Yeah, Emily um, Panic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so we did not, um, we did not know actually until uh, like a month before, because the casting took a really long time. Was that hard to give that over? Was that a- Not for me, no, mm-hmm. not at all. No. no. I, I think it was more important to both of us mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the project exists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that became more important than acting. I mean, I love playing Shakespeare. Of course, I was um, interested <laughs> and excited by the, the prospect of, of playing it, but uh, the idea was the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, there was a whole lot of, um, you know, I mean, there are like three different roles that I was, she maybe wanted to cast me as. And Alphidius was offered for different actresses. Um, and again, a lot of that had to do with putting equity first. Mm-hmm. Um, and also not making that like, you know, a thing that we're um, virtue signaling, but just, you know, are we, are we really uh, creating balance in all of the um, dominant power structures? So it ended up that way in the end, um, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> has it changed at all? Um, seeing your has your perspective changed at all? Seeing how now playing these traditionally male characters, mm-hmm. um, how the women are the, the female characters are played in this production oh, versus. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just had a. Uh, <laughs> Um, somewhere in the rehearsal process I had a, a just a big revelation and I really have to, to credit the actresses um, Wendy Roby and Simone Breer Fraser who are playing Polonia and Virgilia um, female roles uh, in a traditional Shakespeare play we didn't have to change the pronouns they're ladies yeah. um, I when I was adapting uh, that's something that I really struggled with. If we're changing pronouns and we are bringing these roles into the feminine perspective, how are, how are those roles changing? The roles that were always female, how are they... Um, are they just... It's, it can't be that they don't change. The entire structure is changing around them. And I... You know, I, I sort of grappled with that as we were be- beginning rehearsals, and I thought, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm just going to have to trust the director, trust the actresses, and, um, and see what happens. And what happened was, um, Wendy and Simone really had strong ideas about how not to, uh, first of all, how not to make Volonia a wicked witch, and then how to uh, avoid making Virgilia a total victim. Um, I would hear them in conversations and in the process talking about um, 
giving Virgilia more agency, even though she doesn't, not a lot of words come out of her mouth, and in fact, less come out of her mouth in this adaptation than in Shakespeare's traditional script. Um, and they have really explored where does Volumnia support Virgilia in her, her quiet power, uh, her sometimes silent power, and where does Virgilia actually take comfort in Volumnia? Um, there are roles that are often, in a typical production, are sort of at odds. You have the, the mother-in-law sort of stepping all over the, the demure housewife. Um, and they have really um, revolutionized my thinking about these two characters um, in a big way. Uh, and to me, that is what brought these characters into accord with, with the rest of the adaptation. Mm -hmm. um, and that is just totally to, to their credit. Um, yeah, it's a really, really beautiful thing to see. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the production to leave our listeners on? <laughs> um, well, we'd like you to come and see. <laughs> <laughs> Just speaking of, how can they get tickets? Um, <laughs> quick story. Um, I was not sure that it was going to be called "Fight Like a Bitch." That was oh yeah, cool. right. Like, Let's talk about that. <laughs> I was joking about it actually, and I kept saying like, "Are we sure we want to keep this? Are we sure we want to keep this?" Um, but maybe a year or so ago, I was uh, uh, I was hanging out, and uh, two male friends were sparring wrestling, um, and one of them lost and sort of ran away from the scuffle, and the other one yelled out after him, "You fight like a bitch, bro." <laughs> And uh, then there was a third male friend who was with me. He was like, I don't know what that was, but that was kind of hot. And so in the confusion of all of this activity and this like, it was just such a perfect cliche that I couldn't help but think, well, how does, you know, what does that mean, a bitch fight? Like there's cat fight and dog fight, those expressions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But just to like, poke holes in the very notion of how it is that we put women in little boxes. Um, and calling them a bitch is one major yeah. way to do that. And really, any way that a woman fights, you know, they will call her a bitch. And so, <laughs> it made perfect sense. And then it stuck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, where are tickets available for this production? Brown paper tickets. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are, yeah. We're trying, we're, we're experimenting with a lot of things, and one of the, the best ways to um, learn from this experiment is by com com you coming to see and, and telling us what you think and responding, and um, because we do, we want to know how people respond to this, men and oh, yeah. women. Uh, Will you um, be doing any talkbacks? Yes. Great. Yes, absolutely. Um, a big, we are, have a whole group of students coming in from high schools and colleges nice. all around. Um, yeah. And we're doing specific talkbacks for younger, you know, for students mm -hmm. um, 
who some of whom are being sponsored to see the show for free um, and some of whom are receiving uh, educator discounts because that's a huge part of our mission statement. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely we will be doing talkbacks. And um, all the information is available on our website, which is rebelcat.net. And there will be a link in uh, all of the postings of this episode. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Katie promises. Yes. They're going to do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I cannot wait to see this production. I all female casts of Shakespeare do allow for a very different investigation of, mm -hmm. of the text and the perspective, whether or not the pronouns are changed, I think. That's a, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see how that works. And yeah. yeah. I was in an all-female production of The Two Gentlemen of Verona, and it was like, Oh, wow. That's a super gendered <laughs> Yes, it yeah. is. There's oh, a lot of gosh. great ladies in it, but it's real gendered. And yes. It is, it's just... Yeah. It was a really interesting process. Like, there is also, I think, tons of wisdom in this cast. I mean, there's mm -hmm. 50 years between the youngest and the oldest cast member. Yeah. Um, and we did that very much on purpose mm -hmm. to get all of the perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, and this cast is just, oh, every day, every day, there's just some breathtaking moment every yeah. single day. It's just... They're just stunning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So come see. Come see it. <laughs> come see it, everyone. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank, Thank you. you.